I saw a news piece, and I, I wish I could remember exactly what was said, but, but basically they said, they're talking about housing, right? And they basically said that there was, they did some kind of experiment, let's call it, where people who were in low-income housing, they somehow got them into nice housing, right? So going from like, we can't, multiple people live in one bedroom kind of a thing to now we have a house or we have something for ourselves. And just that shift in their shelter situation impacted significantly their perspective and their ability to be productive citizens. Welcome to the What Next Podcast, hosted by Sean Reed, where we pay it forward through conversations. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey to discover what's next for you. Leanne, how are you? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> how is your mental health today? It's good. It's good. I've been here now for a little over a week. And it's given me opportunity to just relax and de-stress. So I'm good. So you don't get to relax when you're at home in the States? I do. It's, but it's different, you know. Like for it's, You're running pretty much at work Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturday. And so on the weekends, when I do get to just relax and do nothing, because that's unfortunately that's my de-stressor, um, Sometimes there's a little guilt with doing nothing because I do have three children who want to do something. Yeah. And so if I'm not giving them that level of attention, then, you know, there's like there's guilt associated. So it's a different type of, you know, de-stress. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, since having Shaila, I realized that sometimes someone just watch TV and they see her watching TV and like, nah, this don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like she should be outside doing something, mm-hmm. being active, stuff like that. Um, and I guess, unlike the road that we grew up on, there's no other kids on this road. Mm-hmm. So it's, you have to make the effort. To and you only have one. And only have you, one. That's why I have three. They can play <laughs> with each other. <laughs> that's very funny. Um, so as you wrap up your time here in Jamaica, as somebody who is... Jamaica living overseas when you come back here what's the experience like what is what do you see that's different do you feel the word being here does it feel like home it so first of all I haven't been home since 2018 because of COVID right prior to that I, I was home when we had kids every other year before that every year so I did never felt you know disconnected or different coming home this time around, I wouldn't say I felt disconnected, but I didn't feel as comfortable um, going places just because I'm like, I can't plot that route in my head yet. Like you say a street name, like I know I've heard that street name before, and I cannot figure out where that is right now. And then when we get, I'm like, oh yeah, I know where I am, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's definitely a sense of um, just like feeling good coming home, you know? It might sound a little... Uh, cliche or kind of sappy but like when the plane touched I was just like oh my gosh I'm home I'm so happy to be home so I mean it's it's a different experience and I mean you can't compare it to living in the states right so I can't kind of look at it through those lenses and I often think you know my husband's American but he's been here so many times he might as well just have his honorary citizenship right Mm -hmm. but as an American coming here for the first time you kind of wonder like how would they receive it because it's so different um but i think that's up to the person 
right? If they're the type of traveler who is open and wants to learn and see different culture and realize that not everyone lives this, the way they do, then it's fine. But if it's a type of traveler who has never left you know, their little town in the U.S., it would be very eye-opening, very shocking maybe for them. Um, so I, I think it just really depends on how it's received. You know, so for me, it doesn't look like weird, right? It's like, oh, yeah, immaculate, yay. You know, <laughs> you see stuff, you remember the same type of things. I think the only thing that's been different or maybe even um, kind of, I don't know what the right word is, mm, exciting is seeing that like you're driving down a street, the road look the same way, pitchy patchy, whatever, right? But then all of a sudden, brand new building, fancy, mm -hmm. fanciness. You know, it's like, okay, so things are happening. It's just happening in pockets and that's fine. Development has to start somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point you made about wondering what Paul would think because I think it's just my point of view that in Jamaica, we grew up watching American shows or UK shows, and I think it builds up a lack of love for our own country. Yes, and, I agree. And it's, it's because of when, when we invite someone to our country, sometimes there's a hesitation that realizing that they're from the outside looking in, they're like, Jamaica, they hear all these good things about Jamaica with the music and the food and the history. They want to come here because they're, they're seeing it from an awesome point of view. And we're thinking, oh, it's not like America it doesn't have all this stuff. It doesn't have all this cool shopping. Not realizing that we, for whatever reason, based on how we grew up, we unfortunately put our country down in our heads. Not realizing how much other people love it. And people come here and want to stay here and want to live here. And in a previous job, I remember hearing, sitting literally at my desk, hearing, hearing a Jamaica to my left speak about wanting to migrate. I hearing an expat to my right talking about setting up shop in Jamaica. And I thought to myself, why, why are we running when these people want to come here? Like, what are we not seeing? What are we not realizing about our own country that um, other people see? That's something I always thought about. I think it, I mean, it could be the grass is always greener, right? And like I said, when we were growing up, you know, everybody wanted to just leave. There was this desire to leave for whatever reason. And I guess I understand that I guess the way I see it, people who are maybe not as, for lack of a better word, well off here, right? Not as comfortable, then it's it's an opportunity to, to get something more, right? But I always thought to myself, like, people will leave Jamaica and go work as a helper in foreign for a reason. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand why you would do that, right? Because it's not like it's any better. You're not going to a better situation. Maybe the pay is a little better. I don't know. Um, well, yes, but it's not a better situation, right? But the people who are quote-unquote comfortable here, right, there's really no reason to, to go. I mean, I have lots of friends who I met when I was at Howard from Jamaica who are back here in Jamaica and, and loving it, right, uh, being successful, thriving. So I think it's just the ability to see the opportunity. And so from an expat perspective, like I don't know, what maybe an Irish person or uh, someone from the UK, how they would perceive Jamaica. But I guess if you think about, it's about where they're coming from, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if an American is coming from the suburbs of DC, they might be shocked because mm -hmm. everything is in a row and everything is neat and orderly, right? But if you're coming from 
some small little place, you know, where there's no running water, then this might be fantastic. Right. So it's all, it's all relative because the truth of the matter is there are places like that everywhere in the world, right? Mm. Everyone talks about America is so great. There are places in America that still don't have running water. Right. There are places in America where it's a little one stoplight town, mm. right? So it, America is not all milk and honey, then that's you find it everywhere. Yeah, I think exposure is important. Um, a few months ago, I had some colleagues here who were visiting from the states, and I was ex I was showing them somewhere that I was thinking to purchase and explaining to them about the whole septic tank situation, mm -hmm. and they couldn't understand it, and they were like, "Is it a third world thing?" I was like, "That's all over the world." If you live in a built-up city, fine, everything goes to you know the sewage company. Right. But once you step outside the city walls, people have septic tanks, yeah. and if you're not exposed to certain things, other people come to Jamaica thinking we're backward, not realizing that it's, it's normal. Right. It's normal. Right. Um, one thing that one thing I wonder about is how many people live abroad, watching news about Jamaica, and are scared of it as a Jamaica. So when you're over there, do you watch things that are like, oh my God, Jamaica is falling apart, everybody's dying? Well, I don't say a whole lot of news about Jamaica um, abroad to begin with, but but yes, I think there, I know that there are people who think Jamaica, high crime, right? I'm sure the Department of State always has some kind of warnings and stuff like that. Um, I remember talking to this guy at work the other day and um, he, I don't know, he'd said something like, you know, would you go back to Jamaica to live or whatever? And I said, yeah, we probably would retire there. And he said, is it safe? And I just said to him, yeah. But in my head, I'm thinking to, him, to myself, am I safe here? I mean, is my black son, when he gets old enough to drive, going to be safe driving on the street and not get pulled over because he's black? You know, my kids go to school every day and shouldn't we be worried about um, people coming to come and shoot at school? I mean, there's so many things that unfortunately have become the norm there that for them to think like Jamaica is so much worse, right? To me, yes, there's crime and violence here, but it's like there's a reason behind it, right? Usually fueled by poverty, drug trade. Political. Po politics, right? Um and things that happen up there too, but for some reason, they're more accepting of that as a norm versus, I mean, it's because they're thinking in their head, they're a white person coming to Jamaica and that's what they expect, you know what I mean? And they're, they're fearful of that, but they don't understand that there are white people in Jamaica, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I have another colleague at work who, old guy, definite Trumper, you know? Mm -hmm. And he goes every year for his anniversary to Aruba. And he feels very comfortable going to Aruba every year. But he'll say, I would never go to Jamaica because they, they kidnap and kill people in Jamaica. And I'm like, okay, well, that's your loss. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who used to live in Baltimore. And she was like, it's the same. She well, was that's like, worse. Exactly. She was like, it's worse. <laughs> and she, she was like, everywhere has crime, everywhere has violence, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Right? And... In my mind, if it is that someone looks at Jamaica wondering how do we live here in crime, I would ask the question: How do you send your school to the state? How do you send your child to school in the states with all these mass shootings? Mm -hmm. Like to me, it's the same type of. Technically, 
if we were all living as true human community, we should all be scared. Mm-hmm. And we should all be unwilling to send our kids to school because of what's happening. Because what affects my brother also affects me. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're desensitized. It's a global, unfortunate situation where what's happening to our brother and our sister, we watch it on the news, we feel sad about it, but we're still off to work the next day. Like, it's okay. Yeah, and it's different um, reactions to that too, right? And, and I think this kind of maybe straddles the political lines up there, but whereas people are sending their children to school with fear and concern about mass shootings or whatever, right? You know, people are like, well, one side of the fence is, why, why are these shootings happening? Let's look at the person. How can we help the situation? How can we have community strengthening for mental health issues and that sort of thing, right? And they have the other side who's like, let's arm everybody. Let's arm the teachers. Let's, so now we're going to introduce more guns to the schools? Like, I don't, I don't know if I feel safe having my kid going to school with the teacher packing under the desk, yeah. you know? <laughs> I don't know, because, because things happen, right? People get nervous and then things happen when they shouldn't, especially when they're not trained. So I, I definitely see that divide there. It's become a, a much larger divide mm-hmm. over the past few years based on the political climate, Right. And the empowerment that um, people feel now to, to voice their um, negative beliefs, right? But, um, yeah, it, it is scary. I mean, Baltimore, I wouldn't really live in Baltimore. But, <laughs> you know, but there are nice parts of Baltimore yeah. that people with money live in. And then there are parts in Baltimore that just one block over and you're like, ugh. Yeah. So. The, the, the gun issue in America to me, I mean. Clear Jamaica will have too many guns, obviously, right? That's horrible. But the fact that it is so... I was watching a documentary, and it was after some mass shooting, I think, this year or last year. I think it was a Vice documentary, and they followed a kid around. I saw that one. 13-year-old kid. And they said, try to buy cigarettes, try to buy alcohol, try to buy guns. He couldn't buy cigarettes, he couldn't buy alcohol, but he could buy a gun. Mm-hmm. And... That to me is scary. The fact that for whatever reason, even though you, he legally shouldn't be able to buy the gun, it was so easy for him to buy the gun. It's like a, a, a high level of ignorance, right? Because the whole gun culture is wrapped up in their constitutional rights to bear arms, which I'm sure at that point in time was written for a whole host of other reasons, right? My husband could t- tell you a lot more than me. He's very good at understanding the history of his country, right? But I'm sure it was, you know, to ward off, like, people trying to take over the country, mm-hmm. not trying to ward off a uh, mugger at the store. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I- I'm not a gun advocate at all. Um, and-, and so I just don't get it. Meanwhile, they put all this, like, level of importance on alcohol, which is, like, really. But I have a whole different reason or thinking of that, too. Yeah, I think they stigmatize it so much that it's created this huge problem, right? Because here in Jamaica, like, we're going to Pat Stenting and people drinking at 16 and 17 and 18 and whatever, and nobody bats an eyelid, but then we know that we can get up next day and go to school or go to work and right. you have to function, right? Everything there is this exaggeration. So not because it's been prohibited and you can't do it. As soon as you are allowed, it's like these floodgates open and this this huge, like, culture of just... Drunken debauchery happens and... Once you make it taboo, everybody uh, wants to do it. Yes, and it just makes it worse. It just makes it so much worse. You know, it's the same thing with um, 
you know, now legalizing of marijuana, right? So to me, I'm like, I don't really care, <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, I don't smoke, but, you know, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Because we see that in Jamaica and we know, I mean, I, I know I have friends in Jamaica who smoke, but they get up the next day and run their businesses and everything is fine. But there it's like this slippery slope into excess. Yeah. You know, it's like there's no moderation. Everything is it's extreme. It's ex- we, we work hard, we play hard. It's always extreme. There's no like balance that's interesting um about the alcohol in jamaica because you're right it's i mean i'm not saying it is right but i remember going to buy a beer for mommy at the supermarket nobody stopped me but in the same breath we don't have the same alcohol related issues and incidents like in the states so it's almost as if if you don't make it taboo people maybe not want to exploit it as much as possible right that's interesting i mean if you think about it right i remember like going to parties right back in the day when i was younger and everyone's drinking if someone is drunk you're looking at them like this idiot right like what are they doing over there it's like celebrated it's on yeah. youtube yeah. videos and so cool and that's not cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's not cool that's interesting um would you so you say you'd move, you'd move back i would I don't know if it's now or yeah. if it's 10 years from now. I definitely know I'm not going to retire there. Mm-hmm. The weather is not for me okay. at all. And I would never move anywhere north of where I am. So it's definitely a southern move, yes. Mm-hmm. What about, what do you see the difference in terms of schools there versus schools here for your children? I mean, obviously there's a lot more options there, right? Um my kids are in a different situation where they're in a, in a French immersion program, which I really like. And so like that would be my biggest concern if I was moving them here now is like we spent all this time on them learning this language and then it comes and it's lost, right? And so that might be a fickle reason as to not to move, mm-hmm. but it's, it's important to me. But I think Jamaican schooling is great. I'm a part of Jamaican schooling. I see a lot more schools opening up, right? So outside of your traditional prep and, and uh, high schools, right? So you have more options. Um, I don't know. So, schools up there, you know, it really depends on, it, it depends on the demographic of the neighborhood, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? So as we're here, you could go to Immaculate and you live in Ochi. And I remember having uh, classmates who, would board, right? Mm. So the opportunity is there to go to a top-notch school no matter where you live, right? Up there, it's mostly driven by your neighborhood. So if you don't live in a fantastic area or that doesn't have a top-notch school system where you would go for free, right? Rather than public education system, then you're going to spend uh, an arm and a leg sending your child to a private school to get that better education. And I mean, I'm not talking like maybe you might get to pay like a money to go to school, right? Look at money compared to paying pretty much college tuition to send mm-hmm. kids to private high school in the state. So it's the same problems. It's, you know, just a different level of access. Yeah, I think that I don't know it fully now, but I know that with PIP, they're also trying to, or they were trying to do zoning for schools as well. They should not. But I don't think it... I could be very wrong, but I don't think it worked. At the end of the day, 
we do still have those traditional high schools that everybody wants to go to. And so for however it's done, people still get to go to the school based on their grades and stuff like that, which I think it is good. But you know what the difference too is though? Here's a big difference I, I see, right? I think in Jamaica, no matter what your social standing is, right? You could be, you know, a higla living in somewhere, you know, bad, right? A challenging area. Everyone knows that education is the way to go, right? So unless it's a situation where it's like, I really can't have my kid go to school because I needed to help sell something. For the most part, school is important, right? Up there, eh, not so much. You want to graduate? Eh, if you like to graduate, that's fine. Go ahead. If you don't want to, that's fine. You can work at McDonald's. You can work at, you know, Wendy's. Like you can get a job. You get a job. This means you can get a career. It means you can get a job, right? And so they don't push that at, you know, at a quote unquote lower social demographic as much because they know that they can get a job no matter where, right? So it's that is a huge difference where that's concerned. And people, you know, unless you're an ambitious person yourself, they're not pushing for college. And that's fine because not everyone can go to college. Not everyone, college not for everybody. That's fine. There's a lot of things you can do. You can be a tradesperson. Um, there are a lot of options, but I feel like here, people are like, you have to, you have to graduate. That's not even an option. You have to graduate high school. That is not an option. What you want to do after that, that's up to you. But you know, people there are just like, yeah, I just won't finish this last year. Yeah, and I mean, I think that. Yeah, I heard a statement once. I said that in order to have the rich, you have to have the poor which is a scary statement, but I also think that systems are created for that. So if it is that you, in quotes, just want to work at McDonald's, they'll welcome it because someone needs to serve him a fast food and McDonald's has to keep the wages low. And so you don't have a degree, low wages. You don't have a high school degree, low wages. And so it's, I think that overall, all over the world, systems are created to ensure that you create worker bees that will also be able to work for as small as possible. Well, I mean, yeah, you can't have a society full of doctors. It's not going to work, right? You need someone to be a doctor. You need someone to take up the garbage, mm-hmm. right? So everyone can't can't be that, um, can't be a doctor, right? But I also think that there are, let's stick, along, stick with this fast food scenario, right? I think a fast food job is, a stepping stone job or a job for a teenager after school or something like that, right? It's, to me, it's not a job that you're going to raise a family on successfully, right? And so that's the problem. If, you're, if it's a stepping stone job, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're not ready for college or you're not ready to go to a vocational school and you're trying to figure out what you want to do your life, then that's there. But when you get caught in this trap of this is the job, right, that's going to feed your family, that's when it becomes a problem, especially when in the land of milk and honey, I'm air quoting over here, mm. there are so many other options, right? For you to learn a trade or a skill or a something to do that. You know what I mean? And so that to me is the the difference. I mean, you have fast food places that are like Chick-fil-A, which I told you about Chick-fil-A, mm. right? We need to talk about that. <laughs> you know, they they encourage their workers to, to go to school. They give mm. like, sometimes I think they give scholarships for them to finish school. I mean, there are things that they see the value in that, right? So that's how I feel about that. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's you're right, and every time I there, there's certain shows I watch on TV that kind of show you the reality of the world, and it's it's on one hand scary, on one hand sickening to to see how much wealth some people have, and then how how much they stop others through systems to keep you from getting that. So. There's something I watched years ago, and it said, or it showed the fact that um, it was studied in the States, and it asked three questions. How much money, how much more than your pay do you think the CEO gets? And how much more do you think the CEO should get? Right? So the person said they think the average CEO gets maybe 20 times my pay, but I think it really should be seven. Right, what is 20 times that's what our life is. And the actual facts is the average CEO gets 300 times the pay of the average employee, and that is that that differential is growing year on year on year. And it's scary because it's like you have all of this wealth and you have people who are suffering. I look at Jamaica as a good example, right. As it, when you came here, I said to you, you're driving down the road, neighbor the road. On your left-hand side is a Land Rover dealership. Mm -hmm. And the right-hand side is Bustamante Hospital where kids are dying. Mm -hmm. And it's like, look at that. You know, that to me is a good Jamaica representation where we have all of this wealth on the left-hand side to have Land Rovers. Uh, the right, these kids are struggling to share one ventilator for 10 kids. And it's like, if you can have a Land Rover dealership can't they buy more ventilators for children? That seems fair, but it doesn't happen. Yeah, that was Arthur Witten Drive because also there was Edna Manley Performing right. Arts and the stadium, right, which is what culturally Jamaica is known for, right? right. That's a global problem everywhere because I think the same as you do. It's like you have this wealth disparity is ridiculous. And if the wealthy folks could, I know you have wealthy people who do charitable mm. things, right? But it's like, it just seems ridiculous. Like, how can you have so much money, right? That you can't, even, you don't know what to do with it. And then you could feed a village for like 10 bucks somewhere, you know, or feed people within your own community. Um, I don't know. You, you can't ever close that because there is just this underlying greed, right? It's a human thing. People mm -hmm. just want more. Um, but it's also... I think in the States, it's very much a, a mindset of um, why should I help someone else, right? I had to work hard for myself. Why should I, and this handout, why should I be given a handout? And yeah, people think like that, you know, like, why should I give this person a handout? They don't want to work. They don't want to work. I don't think that most people get up in the morning and say, no, I don't want to work. I would say that maybe there are some people, a small percentage who are, you know, like, always want to try to get over on somebody, of course, right? But I don't think the vast majority of people who don't have a job get up in the morning and say, you know what? I don't really want to work today, so I'm going to just, like, live off the system. And no, there's usually a reason behind it, right? Mm -hmm. A mental health issue, a health issue, which, by the way, if you are sick in America without, without any kind of insurance, like, dog yum yourself, all right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many other reasons. So for me to think that, People just intentionally don't want, intentionally want to freeload off um, societal programs. I have a huge problem with that. But once again, that's also a political 
divide, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. For me, so I had I had I was speaking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago, who's a psychologist, and she does something called psychological first aid, um, in particular communities, right? Similar to medical first aid or as physical first aid where you do triage before you send someone off somewhere. So if you're in a hospital, if you're in a school, and somebody has a mental episode, and a mental episode doesn't mean that you start screaming and beating people. It could just be you start crying. Why are you crying? You know, just helping somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just psychological first aid. And I definitely think that that's something that the world just needs more of. Because somebody, as I said, somebody not working, it could be something as simple as, when they were young, they were told that, especially in Jamaica, you're too black to get a job. Something as stupid as that, that that person has no told themselves that the only way you can get a job is if you have a particular shade skin mm-hmm. or something like that. And that has broken the person for the past 20 years. And so I think that Jamaica definitely, the entire world, but we need just some help. We need help. People just need help to understand what's going on as I was going on in their head and help them get to whatever their next level is. And there's also familial um, aspects to you know, right? Because you have people who, so I never understood this when I went abroad. It's like this need to have role models or have people who look like you in these certain positions. I didn't understand because to me, it's like, yo, you need to finish college. You need to finish high school. You need to go to college. You need to get education. You need to do things. And I, I never thought like, there was some limit, right, as to what I could do. I mean, I don't want to be the president, but that's just me, right? But there are people who, you know, based on their family history, they grew up in an impoverished setting. They never saw anyone that looks like them or anyone in their family, let's just stay with the family, getting further than this. And so they automatically thought that that was just their cap. And you may have even had family members who, Sometimes when you see people actually striving to be more, want to kind of pull you back because they feel jealous that they never got these opportunities, right? So that's a whole nother aspect of that, where people just feel like they can't be more than anybody that they know or they've grown up with because they don't see that as an option. And so if you introduce somebody, your psychological person or as anybody, right? That's why the mentors are so important, right? to go into these schools and stuff and say, look, you can do this. This person does exist. I mean, having a, a female black vice president, that's a huge, I mean, Howard is like, can I tell you how Howard is blowing up right now? Howard is blowing up because people are like, oh, wow, she went there. Chadwick Boseman went there. Phyllis Rashad is now Dean of um, Arts and Performance Arts or whatever, Fine Arts. So like, People want to go because now you see yourself and you see opportunity. So I guess the question is, how do you do that for people who are trapped in their head with these familial, you know, limits that they've put on themselves? And I guess that's just maybe more outreach yeah, and mentorship. Definitely outreach. And yesterday I was speaking to somebody, and it's a very controversial thing I want to say, right? But I think... I think it's North Korea or those countries where they insulate their people to only see certain things. I think Jamaica needs to do that as well for certain things, right? So if I'm a child watching 
most American shows on TVG and CVM, what am I seeing on those shows? I'm seeing possibly a white president, a white CEO, a white whomever not, and I'm not seeing anybody who is black in a certain position, right? And in older TV shows, it was definitely no females either, right? Only men in certain positions. And yes, you do have persons who that doesn't impact them, but I think a lot of people, that's what they model their life after. So, okay, therefore, the female can only be the secretary, but the man is the boss. Or the white person is the president or the company owner, and I am the you know, project manager, whatever the case is. And I think sometimes we don't realize how much of an impact these TV shows have on people when you see what is the quote-unquote good family structure and it limits you. That's why they will say that the Cosby show was so important, seeing a black family together. Or about being president, it was about what policies you could change, but just showing people that you can become a black person and be a president. And I think that when you're in Jamaica, you're only watching certain types of shows that is being given to you from America or the UK. What's that teaching our children? Or when you're you know, reading history books, and it's telling about Columbus. It wasn't until a few years ago, and this is my own ignorance, I learned how big Marcus Garvey was across the world. And I realized that, so why wasn't that short boy in school? Yes, he's a national hero, but that, like, that should be a major thing. Like, this man has impacted the entire world, but we don't spend enough time, I think, bigging up black blackness, especially in, our, in Jamaican society, where... If you want someone to excel, you have to show them that other people have and you can as well. So I think that that's, that's exactly the same problem abroad. And, and that's why media is now expanding and changing and, and uh, they understand the need to have diversity and inclusion and representation, right? That's the, that's the, the catchphrase, representation, right? So and I'm sure you see it exploded over the past few years, especially with... Um, streaming services and independent mm. films and that sort of thing, right, where people are now seeing more minorities, right, black people, Asian people, mm. um, now LGBTQ people, right, mm. being in lead roles in in TV shows and movies. So you, so you see yourself more in that. Um, so I would say that, you know, whoever programming over in, in those places, TVJ and CVM or whatever, should be getting try to make sure to have a diverse mm -hmm. you know lineup of shows but also you know jamaica has a very uh, i would say relatively strong performing arts scene right i mean i remember watching what was it called royal plantation royal palmistate oh my god royal palmistate what those were great right yeah. that was like we were tuned in every week to watch royal palmistates right yeah. so so there should be a continued push or effort to have more of those locally produced shows on TV, right? Which to show that like, look, there was some study I read in or some statistic about the number of female managers like per country. And Jamaica was ranked very high, you know, as mm -hmm. compared to the US. In the US, you had to be tall, white, male, to be CEO, not mm. short, tall, white, right? <laughs> specific. <laughs> Very specific yeah. to be a CEO. You don't see a lot of women, women of color, all this, right? And to know that in Jamaica, that is like, it's normal, but we don't, we, we take it for granted because we're so, we're in it. We're so used to yeah. it, right? 
So here we have this opportunity to produce shows. And by the way, I'm sh I have not been watching a lot of TV here, right? But I did, we were sitting on watching, I don't know, CVM or something the other day. And I, I was telling you, the, the quality of the production on these commercials rival any foreign TV show, right? Mm -hmm. So I know, say, you can produce a fantastic TV show, drama, series, whatever, right? And I know that there are actors here who want to do it. It's like, we need to produce more of our own stuff, right? And sh and that will show people that it can be done. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's there. We just need a little push. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's so interesting when you hear other people speak about our food, our culture, our music. Like, we have a huge presence and a huge following across the world. And I don't know why. I'm sure there are probably financial reasons, but... There needs to be a heavier push in Jamaica for these things. Um, there's a famous, I don't know the name of the street, and it's probably embarrassing as a Jamaican, but there's this art walk district that has been built downtown. I heard about that. That they're doing tours and all stuff like that. And I mean, people love our culture. You know, every country I've been to, I always say Bob Marley. I always say in any country, a Jamaican restaurant and somewhere playing Jamaican music. Always. Mm -hmm. And it shows how pervasive our culture is and if we could just harness it for ourselves it would be amazing i agree we are definitely everywhere we are we are broad we are large we influence a lot there are lots of music big music artists who come here to come and like catch the vibe and produce some good music right um i think we have a lot of pride in ourselves specifically with you know sports and entertainment right we just need to to like amp up that pride and everything else the culture is not to be trampled on. And I'm going to just slip in, right? Because I've been talking to you about it since I've been here. Is this real estate stuff. I love seeing a nice old Caribbean home, right? You know, there's certain like uh, design features of a nice old Caribbean home. Jalousie windows, wood, nice wood floors, you know. I'm sure people from back in the day remember they used to have coconut brushes scrubbed with the floors, right? Now all this stuff is trying to be, because of development, and development, right? Gotten rid of to have more modern type things. Like we need to have someone who wants to preserve those homes. You know, it's, if, if there's a housing crisis here and there's some real need to keep on throwing up condos and townhouses, then okay, I understand that. But it can't be that you're going in and just clearing out <laughs> These, these fantastic homes to put up condos and townhouses that you're going to Airbnb, by the way. You know, we need to have, it's like there's a show, um, I can't remember her name right now, Nicole something on, on DIY, where she likes, she does historic homes. She's going to an old crappy community and just restore these homes that are built in the 20s and stuff like that, right? Like we need to have that pride as well, that pride to translate into that. I love picking up a, um, a magazine where they're showing these fantastic Jamaican or Caribbean homes. Like that's another thing that we could, we should be capitalizing on, you know, not just this mass market, you know, concrete and steel condos. Where what I find in Jamaica is that we're not very good at preserving. Cause we don't see it as good because there's the pride. It's the pride again. Like this is good. Yeah. This is what you're coming for. Somebody will somebody will throw out um, the traditional Jamaican furniture that can last a hundred years 
to go and buy something at a you know cheaper material but it looks stylish because we we as you said we value that nice clean pretty looking thing versus uh, that will match up in a year or two that is seen as cool or modern versus a thing that probably lasts a hundred years that's built out of real wood and quality and it's stuff like, a, like it's a disposable culture right right and that's, that's america is a little disposable culture too mm. you don't have i mean now you're having people trying to preserve stuff like i mentioned this woman right on tv but but we need to learn to appreciate what we have and to amplify that, make it fantastic. I know there are some financial limitations to that. I'm not naive in that thought, but I think that it can be done. If yeah. you're going to build a home, if you're going to be looking to buy a piece of land and build a home in Jamaica, it should be a Jamaican home. It shouldn't be a home I can pick up, you know, some from Architectural Digest or and see glass and steel and whatever it should be like a nice jamaican home or yeah. some features thereof yeah no you know but you're I mean? right like the thing that annoys me the most is downtown kingston again no their legal limitations we have all these nice buildings downtown that are derelict mm -hmm. and then somebody you know five five feet away builds a brand new building. Mm -hmm. I said, like, well, why won't you just refurbish what is there? And why not, again, I know it's as simple as that, but instead of building a 10-story building that blocks the view of the sea, why not refurbish the buildings that were there before right. to preserve the beauty of downtown? Like, every time I hear my mother or father speak about what downtown used, used to be to like, be. you're like, wow, why, why can't we go back there? No, the old buildings are falling apart and they're putting up this nice, fancy 12-story building to, to, to overshadow everything. It's like, that just just rush to look like and be like other countries. Mm -hmm. Now, as you said, the pride in realizing the value in what our country is like, you know, mm -hmm. and then you see other cities like, again, Italy and those places where they spend a whole bunch of money to preserve mm -hmm. the natural look of how it was 20, 50, 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think we should do the same because a lot of tourists, when they come here, they don't want to see the mother. They come mm -hmm. to Jamaica to see Jamaica. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. So I was I was likening it to Italy, right? Because we've been to Italy, and you go to Italy and you're like, oh my god, like it's all these narrow cobblestone streets and piazzas and stuff, right? And it's old. You feel like you step back in time, right? And it's wonderful. But you go into a store and you're like, oh. It's modern, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's modern the inside for every for daily everyday operations, right? But on the outside, they're preserving that history and the structure is being preserved accordingly, right? So I don't have a problem with people moving forward and having, you know, getting to twenty twenty two, but from a historic perspective, you shouldn't be knocking down these houses. You should like, pretty them up, fix them up, renovate them. Make them look nice. If I had the money, I would. I mean, I'm all about that, right? You know, I'm in construction. I love that kind of stuff. Um, I just have the money to do it. <laughs> not yet, not yet. <laughs> I appreciate your positive thinking, but um, I would that I would love that. That would be amazing, you know. And we have so much good talent here. Um, good craftsmanship. I mean, you know, Paul has been raving about one of the best parts of this trip, and it's us being nerdy construction people. Is we visited this door factory. Oh my gosh, that factory would rival any factory in the foreign. And they're building beautiful 
wood quality doors that you see in hotels and stuff like that. Like there's, we have the talent here. It's just to like put that into a positive place, you know, but I don't want to see any more freaking, um, one house gets destroyed and get eight townhouses. I, I, no, you need to like preserve some of these things. I would love to do that. If anyone wants, anyone listening has a, wants to invest some money, we can talk later. <laughs> I have some skill that can bring to that. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's quick money. You know what I mean? I have a house. My parents have passed away and I'm living somewhere else. I don't really care about the house. A developer comes to me, says, okay, I'll give you extra amount of money for the house. I'm like, all right, fine. You don't even you don't even realize what the house is or what the house values because you're not even living in Jamaica or even if you do live in Jamaica you're like so if I give you this house you will give me two apartments okay and you end up you know giving away history just to get two or three apartments well I also heard that we're having conversation with someone and they said that people are threatening these people as well uh, that happens as well so it's not even like I have a choice now because now you're going to come bad me up and uh, threaten my family yeah you know like why do we have to live like that that happens as well it's sad so on certain streets you will see new building new building new building new building one house new building I, you, you know that one house is being threatened you know yeah and and to be fair, that happens in the states too, right? You see it all the time. Big developers come, and this one person is the stand, you know, holdout, right? And they're being threatened as well. So I'm not going to say this is only a Jamaican mm-hmm. thing. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just it's just a bad thing. It's a bad it's a bad practice. It's a bad practice. It's a bad practice. And and how how long can you really hold out? And again, right. Most of the time, the person who has at home is probably open age. They don't have any more fight left in them. Right. And they're just like. What, there's no point in them fighting anymore right. or feeling threatened or feeling unsafe. Um, I don't know. For me, the, it's such an unfortunate thing where you go to somebody's house and in their driveway before you used to could play and everything was okay, now in their driveway, when you look up, it's somebody's balcony looking down on you mm. and therefore privacy is gone. Mm-hmm. There's no more privacy. And it's just like, at what point will we realize that we are a blocking out the sun so very soon you will be able to see the sky right mm-hmm. and b over time do you really want to live like that like do you really want to be living like that when the focus maybe should be less on cramming everybody into kingston and more about building the proper infrastructure that you can drive out to saint catherine you can drive out to somewhere else fast quickly and still get land for yourself. Like why why should why Caribbean estates and Caymanas, that should be more attractive mm-hmm. because I get a piece of land, mm-hmm. but I have what hopefully like I'll commute to Kingston faster. That should be more attractive than having a one bedroom apartment in Kingston that probably costs more than an entire house in Caymanas. Mm-hmm. Like that makes no sense. And I think that that's something that again I'm sure there's political reasons, but I would hope that at some point in time, you know, the powers that be stop this and go that way. Yeah, I think it also boils down to just morals and values, right? And this is, with more with more money comes more power, and people don't like to give up that power, mm-hmm. right? They want, they want control. And so, whereas I, I think that right now, my generation, 
are the people who are supposedly in power, right? People of my age group are like supposedly lean Jamaica. There's sort of MPs and that sort of thing. And I always thought to myself, these folks should be, should now have, having gone through what they've been through, having probably been more educated, some of them gone far and go school and come back, that they can bring some different like perspective and, and view on things and maybe ch- make some change, implement things. I'm not seeing that happening. Everything you just said, right? I'm not seeing it happening. Why, why can't we design a road properly to actually have drainage and, and so it's fixed one time? Why is it constantly pitchy patchy? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm just thinking about, because I'm an engineer, right? There's things like that. Where when you see the road, the first thing I think is, well, it doesn't have an inlet. I don't see any pa-. You know, like my head starts to think, why can't we just make it right so that you're not mash up your car and your tires? So I have a friend and, you know, he's in, um, you know, road construction in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And what he says happens a lot is that, because again, the people who are working at these companies, they're fully educated, they're fully equipped. They would give, so let's just say that they're asked to design, um, to do a particular road they will give the full road designs as to international specs mm-hmm. and it costs twenty million dollars today. Mm-hmm. And whomever, you know, siding off says we'll have one million. They're like, yeah, but that's not gonna work. They're like, make it for one million. And so there's that initial financial issue of doing it for less because they don't spend the money right now. But the bigger issue is the fact that if you do a road well today, you won't have work tomorrow. You won't have work tomorrow. Well, that's a short-sighted thought because you always have work. There's always going to be repairs. You can make a road, design it perfectly well, but it's always going to be repairs that have to be done, right? Mm-hmm. Luckily, you guys don't have things like snow and everything as a factor because that's what you find will happen mostly abroad. It's like roads deteriorate because of weather, right? Snow, water, that sort of thing. So all you have is really water, right? Um, but if you design it properly for proper drainage, it should last a long time, but there's always something that needs to be done. Now, what, what I've seen happen there, and I would like to see it happening here as well, okay, talking about not being able to do it financially, right? In quotes. Okay. <laughs> when all this fantastic development is happening, right? Whomever public works people, right, should say, Oh, yeah? You want to build this new building? You have to also take care of this mile of road. And taking care of that means install proper roadway, install proper, you know, street lights or whatever is required on that road. Like, make it like it's fantastic. And if that keeps happening, because guess what? You're paying, I know construction people here have in their budget, you have to pay off the command here Mm -hmm. to protect the site and community work, whatever else, then slate some money to do that same thing for the road. And you'd have so many more improved roads in in the country. Yeah. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. I agree it's not that hard. It's it's like it's 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 like it's so um what's the word? It's it's a to me it's a greed factor because because those people would prefer to say, make sure that so-and-so get a little piece of this before they say, make sure that this road that's going to serve this entire community correct. gets a piece of this. Correct, correct, correct. That's exactly what it is. Right? So it's selfish. That's it what I'm looking for. It's selfish. It's not community. I remember my father always used to say, you know, um, why is it? And I guess I shouldn't say all that, but why is it that some people, like black people, right, 
always just want is about self. Like, what am I going to do for myself versus the community? Meanwhile, Asian people, you know, said so I'm going to hire them cousins and then Ray Ray mm. and it's all going to keep it in the family, right? We need to have more of a community Correct. perspective. Correct. How is what I'm going to do and my contribution to this going to help develop this community and make it better? And then that goodwill will stretch so much further than the grease palm, you know? So, but you're right. It's, it's community over self and we do the other way around. Yeah. And not realizing that if you keep on doing self over community, your community is going to fall apart. And you may not always be in a position to switch community to protect yourself. So when you're stuck in the community A and you're whether financially can't or getting on in age, and you haven't built a community, you're not going to be stuck in a community that is falling apart. Right. And it's something that it's, it's greed, it's a short-sightedness. Um, having worked in government for a very short stint and very small views, so I could be very wrong, but um, from what I see, I don't think Jamaica has a money problem. Jamaica has an allocation problem. Um, and I remember hearing to Monty Perkins years and years ago about the Auditor General finding, realizing that you know $200 million was unused or unallocated or missing from the budget. And what happens? You know, the money is missing, what happens? Or the money is used to build a fancy sign for Montego Bay. So it says no accountability. Correct. Right. It happens a lot, you know. Montego Bay sign costs how much million dollars? It's like, why would you build a sign when schools don't have toilets? It's, it's little things like that that we do that. Did Montego Bay read in a sign? Did the grill read in a sign? Like, I'm pretty sure the schools need a bathroom or that we need a sign. People know where the grill is. We don't need a sign. You know, <laughs> but that's just, it's... Maybe it's misallocation of funds, maybe it's priority. Somebody thought building a sign was a very good idea. Mm -hmm. But not putting authority in a school, not, not right now. You know, and so it's, it's how do we ensure that everybody, in my mind, everybody should be at a minimum level. Everybody should have access to water, shelter, and food. Yeah, basic human needs. Basic, right? Mm -hmm. And if there's enough money in the kitty to do all of that, then you can do other extraordinary stuff. But if you have citizens who are unable to use a toilet, that's a problem. And we shouldn't be doing anything else if we don't have that. Like that should be a priority. Like I, I saw a news piece, and I, I wish I could remember exactly what was said, but, but basically they said, they're talking about housing, right? And they basically said that there was, they did some kind of experiment, let's call it, where people who were in low-income housing, they somehow got them into nice housing, right? To know, going from like, we can't, multiple people live in one bedroom kind of a thing to now we have a house or we have something for ourselves. And just that shift in their shelter situation impacted significantly their perspective and their ability to be productive citizens because now they didn't have to worry about that. Right. Now they have a nice, pleasant surroundings to, to live in. And so that's a huge impact, right? So what you're saying about schools and toilets and that sort of thing, like it's so important, right, to make sure that your, accommod your, your surroundings are well-maintained because it makes you want to learn. It makes you want to go there. It makes you want to, it's a lot. And, and schools, education is a, a big source of 
community service, right? Especially for people who don't have. So like in the States, I didn't know this, but like the public schools there, a lot of kids who, whose parents can't afford it rely heavily on the public schools just to feed the kids. Correct. Yeah. Right. So I, I was unaware until my kids were in school. Right. That like, you know, they have subsidized lunch programs mm -hmm. in the summertime when the school is closed. They open up certain schools and provide like a week's worth of food that you can come and pick up because they know that because I know during the summer, the kids aren't coming to schools so and they're not getting that meal. Right. So here we're going to package up some meals for this and you come and pick it up. Right. So it's like that's that's like the first community service opportunity right for that food security for those lower income people and so providing a school that is well maintained good bathrooms and even having some source of food for them that's a big deal i remember mommy told us when they were younger the government would make Modern sure milk. yeah yeah the milk right so See, it still happens now. Um, I know a friend of mine is working on trying to set up something for a particular school. Um, it's really important, you know what I mean? And so like even this year, um, I've started a charity with some people to sponsor up kids for school and to provide meals for these homes. And, you know, as I've said before, if everybody were just able to just, instead of buying Kentucky this Friday, just put that money down. That your Kentucky money can probably buy 10 meals for somebody else. And it's just that thought process of how can each person give back. Um, on another episode, a friend of mine said that she, she made a comment about 9 a.m. And she said that, you know, you're going to work and at 9 a.m. at work. We're all sitting at work, but everybody has had a different experience at 9 a.m. Right? Somebody... Um, probably was in a car accident. Somebody, kids were dropped off at school and they hope everything is okay. Somebody had a bad situation at home. Somebody dropped the kids to the bus stop and they even put food in their stomach. So it's like at 9 a.m., we've all had these different experiences. And so how can I function at work, as I said before, if I'm coming from a situation where I could even eat breakfast mm -hmm. and you're coming from a situation where you had breakfast you're in a, your own room, you bathe hot water, blah, blah, blah. And so it's 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 if we can get everybody to at least a level playing field, it would impact everything else significantly. So I'm interested about this charity because I, I think I heard you mention before they were gonna do it. So, um, so you've started it. Yeah, yeah. So for um, for September we sponsored four kids for school, um, two partial scholarships and two, I guess, full scholarships, and. Every month, we are trying to increase it based on getting more donors in. But um, so far, we have provided 300 meals for a night shelter. So the, the plan is, you know, if we can get money from persons, each one is a small amount of money, not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody gives that 2000 3000 4000 um, The more people you get, the more beauty you can provide. So the, the foundation is called Spare Change. Oh, I like that. Because using your spare change to, to do something. So let me ask you a question, because I like we're talking about schools, right? And, and maybe this is like too much of a grandiose thought, but would you consider maybe adopting a school? And that doesn't mean 
I don't mean that doctoring at school, I mean saying, okay, this school needs help, right? And it's not, it's not like we're going to rebuild a school, but it could be, I'm going to adopt this school. We're going to have a, 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 a event where people are going to come out and weed and paint and whatever, right? Y'all donate the money, you do that beautification. Toilets are not expensive, right? Fix up the toilets, just things like that on an ongoing basis. It doesn't have to be, it's not all at once. It's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. And the meals, same thing, right? So maybe once a week or in the summertime or something like that, or in the mornings, you provide some meals. And once again, it's not, we're not talking gourmet. We're talking like, you know, a box of cereal or, and some milk or something like that. Just a thought. I think that'd be... Dan says yes, I would definitely do that. That'd be a good idea. And I think it... I mean, schools here are small enough that you could probably do that. I don't want to say easily, but... It's doable. It's doable. And again, with the same concept of it's your spirit change. Right. And so if... As a small example, if everybody who is currently shopping at, you know, Super Valley Supermarket and at uncorked eating lunch and stuff like that, if everybody there gave me a thousand dollars, how much impact could that have? And then you use your marketing skills too, right? Like this is what we're doing for this school, right? Here is a lot of times people don't like to give money not knowing where it goes, mm-hmm. right? So as you guys start doing things, you can, here is what our spare change did, right? Here is, don't you want to help? Don't you want to be a part of this? Mm-hmm. I know, like, you know, I was part of the Alumni Association um, chapter in D.C., and one of the things, you know, we do a lot of charity stuff for the school, obviously, but a lot of times people are afraid to give money because they don't know where it's going. It's this black hole, mm-hmm. you know, so we try writing letters and you're going, this is what we did. It went to this solar project or this blah, blah, blah. So I think that's a... You probably get a lot more people. So I agree. So my so totally agree. So I mean, clearly I'm just starting out. But what what we've done is ensure each month the information is sent. So mm-hmm. when we buy the goods, we take a picture of the, the physical goods goods bought. Mm-hmm. We sent a we sent a we sent a, a document with the receipt from some parts, <laughs> the picture of the, the the grocery basket, and and who the donors were. Mm-hmm. So it's super transparent because you're right. Sometimes people give and like so what actually happened right and so, so even for the schools the name of the children with schools they went to everything everything is there because people need to know that it actually went somewhere versus so black hole yeah and and a lot of times people you know think okay this is a public school and so government should take care of it right but i'm a firm believer that with education the parents play a very large role, right? You guys have PTA, we have PTA. And, you know, even in big, big America, right? I don't live in a super fancy area, right? The money is not there all the time for certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, so at the beginning of the school year, you get these lists from the teachers that we need paper and glue and whatever, because otherwise they, they're buying out of their own pockets, mm-hmm. right? So there is a community element that's still needed in any kind of public education scenario. And so if you're in a school community that's unfortunately in a lower income, then you have obviously less money because you don't have maybe parents who can afford to send the extra $10 to do whatever. You know, so I think that those are good opportunities to really help schools like that. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, so is there any advice that you tell your younger self 
based on where you are today that maybe you could have changed or could have done better? Advice to just younger people overall then? I mean, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so many things, so many things. I know confidence is important. Um, there are things that I maybe wasn't told or, you know, as a child that I tried to instill in my kids, you know, confidence being one of them and not being afraid to do certain things. And, you know, it's just like those things that I think a big gap for us was love and affection, right? The, the affection factor. Um, but I would say advice to, to anyone is just, be confident, know what you want. Don't be afraid to ask for it. I think we're in a society in Jamaica where we are very accustomed to you do your work and you'll get recognized if possible. That was a very big transition for me over there, right? Um, and it's a cultural thing where we just feel, and it's not just Jamaica, I mean, black people culture and definitely developing country culture, right? where we just feel like we just need to just do our work, do well, and we'll be recognized for it. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I realized that that's not the way people operate over there. You have to ask for what you want. No one's going to give it to you. No one's a mind reader. And um, you have to advocate for yourself, right? No one's going to come and pat you on the back and say, you're the best thing since sliced bread. You have to be able to pat yourself on the back and say, I am the best thing since sliced bread. And here is why, you know? So... I would, te I would, I would um, advise people to be more of a self-advocate, to fake it till you make it, and to be confident. You know, for the, for the little girls out there, you can do anything that you want to do. You're not limited. You don't have to be married and have children. You know, you can have success comes in, in many different ways and different forms. It's about the goal is happiness in life, right? That's what I think, right? Everyone's goal is to be happy. You can't go through this, through this life being miserable. It's pointless. So you have to figure out what it is that makes you happy. And if if you get married and you have kids, that makes happiness, fantastic. If you have a crazy job and you're traveling the world and that makes happiness, that's fantastic. But you have to do what makes you happy. Otherwise, you'll be miserable for a very long time. Yeah, I think that those societal norms sometimes disappoint us unfortunately mm -hmm. so if i'm not married or if i if i don't have the, the regular in quotes regular 95 mm -hmm. you start to feel bad not realizing that you don't have to have that that's 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 a path it's not the v path because there is no the path everybody has to do their own thing right and other times people have in their mind certain markers married by a certain age pregnant by a certain age a particular type of job by a certain age and if you if you don't hit those markers which exists only in your head, mm -hmm. right? You, you start to feel sad and down and depressed. It's like, and it's something that is, is a very, is a very scary comment, but it's also a true, a true comment. Nobody else cares. Like, a lot of times we sit down thinking, what will so-and-so think about me? So-and-so living their life struggling too. Everybody's out there struggling with their own life. Nobody's sitting there saying, I mean, people do talk about each other. Nobody's, nobody's spending 
that much time thinking about you and what you're doing because they're probably thinking about their life and they have their own insecurities about their life as well so stop worrying about other people to think about you and just do what you need to do that's just really important i think also in this in this uh, social media culture it makes it even harder right because like I, I believe, just like I said, everybody has their own thing going on. You never know what's going on behind closed doors, mm-hmm. and you just can just only assume. But in this social media culture, people don't post pictures of when they're unhappy. Mm-hmm. It's always here on this vacation, here are my kids, here am I doing this, and this buying these new clothes and everything else. And so you get this false sense of like of their, this false sense of their reality. Right. 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 Which then you compare to your reality. You're like, wow, I'm not keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. And that, I think, and they've already talked about it, all this negative impact on kids and kids' confidence because they're, you know, all these likes and all this stuff, right? And so we have to kind of get outside of that. We have to really figure out what, what makes us happy. Stop watching other people. You don't know what their stories. You, you can't walk in their shoes. And um, that's the only way you can be happy. There's a guy I listen to, and he says... Nobody cares about the truth if the lie is more entertaining. Right. And that's people need to remember it's all a lie. Whatever will be put out there, it's all a lie. Not saying that that situation may not be true, but that's a five second snapshot of the entire day. Right. It's a 24 hour day. You saw a five second TikTok video. What about everything else? Right. What about everything else? Um, what do you see yourself doing next, the next two years, three years? I don't know. <laughs> that's a fair answer <laughs> I feel sometimes I feel trapped right there are trappings as you get older right and it's not I don't want to say trapped it's not a bad word but there are things that kind of constrain you so a small example would be like when you're younger you have a job you rent an apartment you don't like the job you get another job right you don't have any kids whatever you know like in our industry up there in construction and I guess here to right people you move from place to place so you don't know where your job's going to be right and so, you know some people when they're younger and they get a project they're they get that apartment right to the project and when your project's done they get another apartment next to the next project so there's this sense of like nothing's tying you down right but once you have things and people right depending on you then trapping start to happen right so you buy a house oh i can't just move around as much anymore oh i have husband or kids or and or kids right then i can't really do as much as i want to do so there are trappings and i like to call them encumbrances mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. encumbrances i always tell my young staff members do everything you want to know that you're young and unencumbered because once you start getting encumbered it's a whole different ball game so similarly, career growth, right? So my career is, is growing, I'd like to think. Maybe I'll find out something different when I go back to work tomorrow. I don't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, um, but that's also an encumbrance, right? Because you're like, wow, I, this is what I want to do. I'm doing it. I can't just get up and make a huge career shift, right? So it's almost like just keep on going in that path. So I mean, in the next couple of years, I might still be just doing what I'm doing now. But at the same time, I'm a planner, so I try to plan for the future. So what does that look like? You know, if I'm trying to move back to Jamaica in retirement, then let's start putting some pieces in motion to make that happen. And I think we're starting to do that now, trying to figure out how that, what that would look like. 
So it's going to be baby steps. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you want to dive into a similar What Next episode, check out the links in the podcast description or head to the whatnextpodcast.com. And remember, make it your mission to make somebody else's day better.